0: Uh, if you got your Bibles, I'd invite you to get them out. We're going back to uh, the last book in the Bible, Revelation. We'll be in chapter 1 again. I think, I think we're going to finish chapter 1 today. Uh, not bad, three weeks. Uh, at the rate we're going, we should be done this by 2030 or so. Um, so we're going to get in there. So open your Bibles, page uh, 1028 in my last book in the Bible, and I just wanted to review uh, a couple of things where we're at just to make sure we're all on the same page. Remember one of the things that I told everybody is to understand Revelation. Um, first of all, it's really important, really, really important. How many people would read a story, a book, and read all the way through the book and then not read the last chapter? Um, how, if you did that, could you really understand to claim to know the story if you didn't know how it ended that's um, why we need to know revelation if we really want to know what the bible says we need to know the whole story not just part of it and part of the thing with understanding what the book of revelation says is understanding the structure of the book of revelation and how it's broken up into different um, different sections So Revelation chapter 1 is the first section, chapter 2 and 3 is the letters to the churches, that's the second section, Uh, chapters 4 and 5 is the third section, the throne room scene in heaven, and then chapter 6 and on is really the description of the last days and the things that come after that. Within all of those sections, though there is structure, and that's no different for chapter 1 here. And we find chapter one is kind of broken out into a few different parts. And if you can understand the different parts, you're going to understand chapter one. And here's the thing: if you if you if you want to understand Revelation, you have to understand the first chapter. Okay, you're not going to you're not going to understand what all the you know more um, unusual stuff is if we can't just get the basic things straight before we begin. So chapter uh, one of Revelation, verses one to three. It's just an introduction that John has written, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep watch. Um, keep watch what is and, and who keep, sorry, what is written in it, for the time is near. That's the introduction that John is putting on this letter that he is writing. And then verses 4 to 7 is John's personal greeting. Uh, the New Testament, every letter has got a uh, greeting like this. We don't greet people like this. We don't write like this anymore. But uh, John writes this long greeting from verses 4 to 7. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace to him who, I, who is and who was and who is to come. Sorry, from him who is and who was and his to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, and to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. That's a pretty elaborate greeting that John lays out for us there. We have now uh, verse 8, which kind of confuses people sometimes. It's really just an interjection. It's just a quote. It's just something John's excited about. He wants us to know what God has told him, and he includes this quote in verse 8 from Jesus himself. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That's what he says. I'm the Almighty. And that's the interjection. That's the news that John just couldn't wait. He had to get that in there right away. That brings us um, to chapter, or sorry, to verse 9. And this is the beginning of John's testimony now. Now he's going to start telling the story of what happened in this interaction. Begins the story with what he was shown by Jesus. He, he begins to write what God has given his son Jesus. Remember, God's given Jesus this message, this revelation, to, for him to go and show John. God's like, go tell John what's really going on here. Go give John some hope. He, I mean, he's on the island, he's an old man, he's the last, he's been exiled. Go help him, go help your church. Go show them who you really are, really, is what's going on here. And John here is beginning to write the things that he saw. Um, now, I would ask, as you're listening out there and as we continue on in this book, uh, let's uh, try to come to this book and what it says with somewhat of a blank slate. Okay, I'm not talking about we're going to throw out logic or we're going to throw out truth. I'm just saying let's not let man-centered Teaching impose itself on this text. Let's let's not let systems that people have put together that are sometimes helpful, um, often helpful. Let's not let those though cloud what the plain meaning of these words is. What does this stuff in its plainest sense mean? Remember, I said we gotta remember always. God is, Jesus is talking to his friend John. He's showing his friend John these things. And we always need to ask, what would John be thinking and feeling and remembering as this is going on? That's the primary context. Context, context, context. Let's try and keep that in mind. Let's, let's try and let the Bible say what it says. Let the Bible speak for itself. This is the first rule of hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is how to in- Interpret the Bible just a fancy Bible college word for that is Bible interpretation first rule of Bible interpretation is The Bible explains itself So let's just let the Bible tell us what exactly Jesus is talking about here and what it is that John is seeing we don't need the rules of language to understand. We don't need special rules, new rules of language to understand this book. The same hermeneutics apply to Revelation as apply to every other book in the Bible. Now, somebody said, but, but really, Dan, do you really take the book of Revelation literally? Come on, that's a little crazy. Um, yes, yes, I do. Um, we, we read it like we read other things. We read it with the same understanding of language and writing as usual. We read it like we would read anything in this world, a newspaper, a website, a book. Well, But wait a second, wait a second, Dan. Isn't this book full of symbolism? Hmm. Actually, not nearly as much as people claim. Uh, and the symbols that are used in this book are not new. And they are found elsewhere in the Bible, and they're found elsewhere in the book of Revelation. Also, we got to remember, sorry, just a little, I just thought of something, okay. Also, there are, there are other ways, okay? Um, there are other ways that we speak and write and speak and write than just plain literal things, right? We, we all live in the real world. We all talk to each other. We know how we talk. And we do not talk exclusively literally, do we? And we don't write that way either. We, we use things like similes and metaphors. Don't ask me to explain the difference between those two things. I always thought they're kind of the same thing. All you English teachers can tell me this week exactly what's going on there. But it, those are often just things, hey, th- it was like this, or like that, or I, I was thinking this, or everybody. We use a hyperbole and exaggeration, and we use similes and metaphors, and we use figures of speech, and we use sarcasm. I would never use sarcasm, but I know that there's some people who do. Um, we use all of those things when we talk, don't we? We write. And John often says, and uses these kinds of languages in Revelation, he says, the sky rolled up like a scroll. We know what that means. Man, wow, that's, that's crazy. That's going to be like the sky kind of, we don't know, but it's like, hey, it was kind of like that. Or the beast was like a lion. Well, we kind of know what a lion is like, so we're like, what the beast kind of looked. okay, all this stuff is all normal language. It's not complicated. What we have to do is re- remember the, the main point always is the issue, Right? We get distracted on all of this stuff and get caught off on a tangent, and then we read, you know, I don't know whose basement theology it is about some kind of weird thing that's going, on. And off we go. Of oh, the Antichrist is this or that, and number of the beast. You're, that's not the main point. You got to understand the. What I was keep the main thing, the main thing. Understand the main thing, and all the peripheral stuff will fall into place. Remember the main point always. The, this vision is of. The Son of Man and the things that must take place. This vision is of the Son of Man and the things that he will do is what this book is about. We're not studying to have dates and times and signs and all kinds of insider mystery solving. That's not why we want to know the book of Revelation. We want to know what Revelation says... So that we can follow in the footsteps of our crucified and risen Savior and King on the path to eternal life. That's why we want to know what this book says. We want to be disciples of Jesus and to walk out everything he has commanded us to do. And we want to know what this says so we can be presented faithful before his presence On that day of his ultimate revealing that's why we want to know what this book says I want to live I want to know what this is because I want to live in a manner worthy of his glory and wonder in verse 9 John continues I'll just read this and I'll go back and make some comments I John And in his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven gold lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Uh, that's that's pretty cool. Uh, that's one of the most inspiring, I think, scripture in the Bible, and I think you'll see why today. Let's start at the beginning. I, John, your John, your brother and partner um, in, what would you say? What would would most people say is the end of that sentence? Hey, John, uh, folks, church, I'm your partner in, you know, we see down a little uh, ways, um, that are in Christ Jesus. So the things that are in Jesus that I'm partnering with you with, what would those be? What does John say he is partnering, partnering Jesus with them? Well, I, I, he sees three things, right? There's three things. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. Your partner in the things that are in Jesus, whatever it means to be in Jesus, John, Here's the thing. John already knows what this book is about, right? He's already seen it. Now he's writing it down. He's already seen what he's about to write. And he's writing his explanation. He's writing his introduction. How does does he describe what it means to be a partner in Jesus? Tribulation, a kingdom, and patient endurance. This statement right here at the beginning, sets out the three dominant themes for this book. And hey, they're not anything new. This is the three dominant themes presented to us in Scripture. Tribulation, a kingdom, and patient endurance. And John is writing this book, and he's setting out these themes right at the beginning. The story hasn't changed. John's like, here is what we're in for, folks. Here's what I'm going to be writing about. Here are the things that we signed up for when we submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The tribulation, the kingdom, and the patient endurance as God brings the tribulation that leads to his kingdom. And John is foreshadowing the patient endurance of all of that that is going to be required by the saints of Jesus Christ. John is foreshadowing what is coming in this vision. Well, I was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Um, It just basically means um, I'm here because I was sharing god's word and preaching and i was sharing my testimony of jesus we already heard this story before john was the last of the apostles legend has it that uh, they tried to kill him once by boiling him in oil and it didn't take so they're like we got to get this guy out of here he can't hang around Um, if he survives boiling oil we've got a problem so they hiked him off to the island of patmos which is off the coast of uh, western turkey because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ that John was proclaiming. We can have none of that. Get that guy out of here. And he's like, okay, well, I was on the island where they had placed me because of the things that I was saying. And verse 10 says, and I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Talking about this little phrase because it uh, disagreed upon phrase. Uh, a lot of people have different ideas of what exactly is going on here. I don't really think it's all that super important which one is right. Um, it just means that I think he's worshipping. Was it Sunday? Was it Saturday? Was it another special day? Who knows? I think it just means he's worshipping. He's, he was in the Spirit. He was singing. He was praying. He maybe was studying. Maybe he was preaching. Who knows? Something's going on, and, and things begin to change uh, quickly. Because look what he says, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Okay, again, we're back to the similes and metaphors, and I'm not exactly sure which one this is, but there's apparently a voice like a trumpet. Now, that doesn't mean that there's a voice going, boop, 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 boop. That's not what's happening. Everybody like that? That's boop, boop, yeah. Um, Anyway, that's not what's happening there, right? What it means is the power and the clarity and the volume of what has just uh, started to occur behind him is, I don't know about you, um, has anybody ever snuck up behind you and blown a trumpet unexpectedly? Um, No, um, me not, me neither, but I could imagine uh, the effect of that um, would be pretty severe, um, maybe up to and including heart attack. Okay, so this is what's going on with John. He's worshiping, he's praying, he's in the spirit, whatever that is, and all of a sudden, trumpet blast from behind him, a voice like a trumpet blast from behind him. And here's what the voice says in verse 11. Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and Laodicea. I think we've got a map um, back there that can go up on the... On this on the live stream, there, a little map of Western Turkey where those cities are, you can see, and you see Patmos is just off the coast there. And this voice, as John is worshipping on Patmos, comes in and says, Hey, write this down and send it to those seven churches over there. And John's like, oh, What's going on here? And I turned in verse 12. He said, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. Probably just Very common, like I turned around to see what was going on. I turned to, who's this? What's what's happening? And on turning, he tells us what he sees. I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Okay, that's his uh, first thing. He turns around, notice what he says, he sees seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the seven golden lampstands, he says, one like a son of man. There is a figure amongst the seven gold lampstands, like a son of man, okay, so Again, We're going to see today how what Jesus is showing John and what John is writing here is the story of the Bible. It links all the way back to the beginning. The Son of Man. When Stephen was being stoned and the church being scattered in Jerusalem after Jesus went back to heaven, what did Stephen say? That they just could not stand. He says, I see the Son of Man in heaven, meaning Jesus. This is Jesus himself called himself the Son of Man. I will be, I am the Son of Man. I am coming on the clouds of heaven because that's what Daniel wrote way back, you know, 500 B.C. The Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. And here John, the same thing. I I see this figure. I see the Son of Man and he's standing with seven lampstands around him. Clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. We go uh, look up a lot of verses about this. Long robe is the, uh, is the key here. Uh, kings wore long robes. Priests wore long robes. Very powerful people wore long robes. Normal people did not wear long robes. Okay? The, uh, the, the men had shorter stuff. It, it's a symbol of authority in some way. Could be a priest, could be a king, could be both. Well, we get a little hint because of the golden sash around his chest. That's a priestly garment. The priests wore sashes around their chest. Purple and blue and gold all woven together. Goes on. This one like a son of man with this long robe and this gold sash in the middle of the lampstands. And the hairs of his head were white, white like wool, white like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire and his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice was like the roar of many waters. This is again, we see so many things in the New Testament connected back into the book of Daniel. And this is nothing, anything different. Let's listen to what Daniel's vision of this person is. It's, Daniel has a, his last vision, three chapters long. Daniel chapter 10 is the last vision he writes and it begins with this, Daniel 5, Daniel, sorry, Daniel 10, 5 and 6. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, and with a belt of fine gold from Ufas around his waist. And his body was like beryl, his face was like the appearance of lightning, and his eyes like flaming torches, and his arms and legs were gleaming burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Jesus is bringing John right back 500 years to Daniel seeing him in all his glory. In his right hand he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me. Fear not, is what he says. Isn't that a great message in the Bible? Always when Jesus comes, hey, fear not. Fear not. His disciples, when he came back to see them after they had all abandoned him, he's like, hey, fear not. Um, The angels announcing the arrival of Jesus. Fear not. And Jesus is no different now than he always has been. Fear not. Look what he says next, though. This is where we're really getting to the issue here. Why why should we not fear Jesus? Fear not. I am. Hmm. Why don't we just stop there for a second. What did God say to Moses back in the beginning? Back when he was calling Moses to go save his people. Exodus 3.14, God says to Moses, Moses asked God, who do I say you are? If I go to go tell all these people this stuff, they're never going to believe me. Who should I tell them is sending me? Um, God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is what got Jesus in so much trouble with the Pharisees, right, in his day and age when he's teaching. And he's trying to explain the of Abraham and how they are false descendants of Abraham. And they're like, how do you know what Abraham... And he's like, hey, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He's like, I'm God. I am, I am. I'm the guy that led Israel out of Egypt. I'm the guy that called Abraham. I know Abraham. I talked to him. Um, He was looking forward to this day more than you are, for sure. Jesus says, I am. Jesus says, fear not. I am. I am everything I claimed I was. And everything I claimed I would be. I am am the first and the last, he says. What's that mean? Well, here's the thing. These are are pretty rich words. Uh, It could actually be, I am the before and the finally. I like that. I am the one who chose and formed and fashioned this, all of this before the beginning. And I am the one in whom it will all finally rest forever. I am the before and I am the ending. I am the first and the last. Here's the thing. Um, this is also not just some kind of abstract thing where, like, I'm the first and the last kind of new test. This is an exact fulfillment of a, some fantastic prophecies uh, in the book of Isaiah, actually, a guy who lived 200 years before Daniel even. And I, Isaiah wrote some things about God 700 years before Jesus was ever born. In Isaiah 44, 6, catch this. Uh, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel... And his Redeemer, the Lord of Hosts. Okay, already we have two characters in this statement, right? Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of Hosts. It says this I am the first and the last, beside me there is no God. already picked. There's, there's, how is there two that are claiming, I am the first and the last, and beside me there is no God? Isaiah for 48 continues the same theme. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, who am I called? I am he. I am the first and I am the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call them, they stand forth together. I am the first and I am the last. Notice what else he says. And the living one. Hmm. This is also uh, uh, Isaiah. Because Isaiah 48, after the verse I just read, he goes on to say, um, My hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand... Oh, sorry, I already read this, but I'll do it again. "My, my, My hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. And when I call them, they stand forth together. And he goes on to say, because I'm the living one. And here Jesus is um, saying things again that John would understand. Jesus is referring back to things he had said to John years ago. Not just the Old Testament, but he's talking to John about what I told you while I was alive, that John recorded in his own story earlier of Jesus, right? The Gospel of John has already been written. And Jesus is referencing things that John wrote about in his Gospel. The the introduction to the Gospel of John says of Jesus in John 1.4, "...in him was life, and the life was the light of men." And John is the one who wrote about Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and Jesus' promised, declared that day, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And John wrote about Jesus, reassuring John of who he is in, in John fourteen six and everything that he promised he would be. More than John or we could ever imagine or hope for. This is also a reference, this living one, a reference to the resurrection and the New Testament verses. But it also shows how he fulfills a longing in David's heart, too. David lived a thousand years before Jesus. And he wrote, as a deer pants for flowing streams, in Psalm 42, too, he says, So my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And he writes, how lovely... is your your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God." And Jesus says, hey, that's me. I'm the living one. The prophet Hosea lived around the same time as Isaiah. He's speaking about the chastisement and judgment that was coming on God's people and the severity and hardship of God's judgment for their unfaithfulness to him. And he holds out a promise that even though it may look like they've been destroyed, God will not fail to fulfill his promises. And Hosea says, yet the number of the children of Israel should be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. That's Hosea referencing God's promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, from a thousand years before that. And Hosea is like, it's still going to happen. And he says this, and the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, everybody's going to be like, hey, that never, they're gone. God's done with them. They're destroyed. It shall be said of them, children of the living God. And John and Jesus is like, John, it's me. I'm the living God. I'm the one David and Hosea We're talking about. I died. Look, I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. He's like John. Look, look, you saw me die. And there's that word, uh, behold, right? It's not like uh, some old, behold. It's like pay attention. Hey, look, look, can you see this? Behold, it's I beat death. Uh, Death couldn't keep me. What does keys mean? We live in a country, in a world that we have keys. What does it mean if you have the keys to something? You own it. That's what it is. And it's like, I own death. I own Hades. They all belong to me now. I've got the keys. This just, on uh, an aside, this kind of goes against the ruling uh, kind of thought mentality in the Greek world at this time. The Greek in the world, you might have remember this from elementary school. You know, there's a, a god of heaven, and then there's a god of the ocean, and then there's a god of um, the sea, and then there's a god of the underworld. And there's this kind of like different gods had different kinds of authority in different places, and, and Jesus is like, yeah, that's ludicrous. Uh, I own it all. There's nobody in charge of the underworld. That's me. I'm in charge of everything. I'm Lord of all. There is no place that I am not in charge. Okay. Look what John is, what Jesus is saying to John here. Fear not. You have nothing to fear from me. I love you. I have come to save you. We've already heard that he, he loved us and he, he saved us by his own blood. He set us free from our sins. Fear not, he leaves. John, get up, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of me. You have nothing to fear from me and you have nothing to fear from death because that belongs to me now too. You have nothing to fear at all, John. I am everything I promised, and I will fulfill all my promises. Just this, remember what Jesus said to his disciples at one point? John 15, 15. John heard him say this. It's something John remembered and wrote down. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. And he also says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I'll take you to myself that where I am you may be also. Jesus is showing John all those words that, he, that I told you John all those years ago, all those promises I made all the words of the prophets about me I am everything that has been promised. I am everything I told you when I was last with you John. You are my friend. And I have prepared a place for you. And I am coming to get you. It's all true. This whole vision is to show John that Jesus is exactly who he promised he was. He is Yahweh, God incarnate. John's friend that he walked around Galilee with is the God of creation, forever united with his creation by being born into a man into his own creation, Nevertheless, his power and glory as God totally undiminished in the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, amplified and glorified and filling the earth is the glory of his Son, who is forever Yahweh in the flesh, the God-man. That's what he wants John to know, and look what he says after that. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen. Those that are, and those that are going to take place after this, God has shown you, my Father has shown you, I have shown you who I really am. You need to write this down. I am the faithful witness. I am the firstborn of the dead. I am the ruler of kings on earth. And I have loved you, and I have freed you from your sin by my own blood, and made you a kingdom of priests, to my Father, and I am the first and the last, and I'm the living one, and I have conquered death, and I am alive forevermore, and I am the ruler of all. Write this down. This is fantastic news. Tell people what I have shown you, and what I am about to show you. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the Okay, we're going to get this mystery solved. This is what I said. The the Revelation always interprets itself. You don't have to guess. You don't have to go wandering around and go to the bookstore and find books on lampstands. It's right here. The seven gold lampstands, sorry, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, we're gonna, we'll be talking a little bit about this um, as we get into chapter 2 because of the, about the idea of the angel of the church at Ephesus, right? But here we see the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay. There's a lot of talk on what exactly does this mean that there's seven stars that are angels that, God is, that Jesus is also going to write a letters to. We're not going to get into that, okay? There's a lot of different things about all of that. Let's think about, remember, though, what the bigger picture is. What is being taught here? What is Jesus showing John here? We have to remember there is a heavenly realm. I, I hate to use trite, you know, Christianese terms, but there is a spiritual reality to creation. And the spiritual reality is just as rich and diverse and complex as the natural reality is we just can't see it fully yet we have to remember this heavenly realm is going through its own history parallel to ours we also remember remember this first Paul said God says the church exists the church the saved ones the called out ones John us the one things we're in partnership with him in exists to demonstrate something to those heavenly powers and that heavenly realm. Ephesians 3, Paul writes this To me, though I am the very least of the saints, a grace was given to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is showing some things to all of heaven on earth. And here we see the picture. This is awesome. What God is demonstrating throughout the entire Bible is not only that he is sovereign over earth, but he is sovereign over heaven as well. And that whole spiritual realm is all just as much his as this one is. And the point of the seven stars and the seven lampstands is that they all belong to Jesus. Whatever he is saying, he's... Sorry, whatever the intricacies of the reality of the function of the stars and the lampstands, it's clear who owns them all and who has them as his personal possession. He's, what Jesus is showing, John, is it doesn't matter about the church, it's the particular interaction here. I'm in charge in heaven and on earth. Some people may th- this point to this is like the church has an angel, maybe, but that's not really the point. Whatever the interaction of heaven and earth over specific churches is, and we know there is, there's battles over the church. Every single Christian, every single group of Christians is being fought over in this world. What Jesus is showing is, John, like, I'm in charge of both, right? I'm in charge of heaven. I'm in charge of earth. doesn't matter. He is in control over the seven churches in the heavenly realm, and He is in control over the seven churches in the earthly realm. Jesus is in charge of the church in heaven and on earth. No one in heaven has more power over the church than He does. He rules it all, is what He's showing, John. It's actually one of the picture of the fulfillment of one of Jesus' most famous promises. Matthew 16, 18, He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prepare, prevail against it. He's like... Powers of hell aren't going to be able to stop me. Gates just means judgment, powers, rulers. They're not going to be able to stop me. This is why. This is what Jesus knew. This is what Jesus was looking forward to. And Jesus wants John to know these things. Jesus wants everyone to know these things. Write this all down, John. Read this, my people. Hear this. Keep this, is what he's saying. I am everything I claimed I would be. The band's going to come up, we're going to sing one more song. But remember, John has already told us what this story is going to be about, right? This is all, we've got to keep this in mind through the whole thing. This story is about tribulation and a kingdom and patient endurance. And we are going to find out as this story becomes clearer and clearer, as John rolls it out, that the story hasn't changed. God promised Moses in the beginning, I'll redeem you with an outstretched arms, but it's going to be through great acts of judgment. And Jeremiah writes this, and the word of the Lord uh, came to Jeremiah, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. Kind of similar, eh? It's a little flashback. This is Jeremiah, though. This was just 100 years before Daniel. For behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land and give it to their fathers, and they shall take possession out of it. Of it. Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. Daniel said in Daniel 10, 12, And there shall be a time of trouble at that time at the end, such as never have been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Jesus said to his disciples, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated for all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because lawlessness will be increased and the love of many will go cold. But the one who endures to the end... Will be saved, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not being from the beginning of the world until now, no, and will never be. (laughs) I think what's happening here is (laughs) this encounter, this message, starts this way, is to remove any and all doubts that might creep into John's mind or into ours. Jesus is like, look, John, there is no reason for doubt. Things are going to get really bad in fact in the end it will even appear that imminent and total destruction are inescapable don't worry don't be fooled don't despair it may look like that to you and it may look like that to my people in the last days but fear not that is not what things look like from my perspective You may may look around you and think, oh no, it looks like the end. Don't worry, I have shown you, John, what it looks like from my point of view. I have shown you what things really look like behind the scenes, what what they look like from my throne room, and you have nothing to fear. Remember, and don't doubt, I am accomplishing everything that has been promised, and I will not fail. I will not fail my people. I won't fail you, John notice what it says he has them in his hands it's the stars of heaven in his hands it's all in hand John it's all in my hand and I will never let it go John recorded this promise in John 10 Jesus says I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand my hand that holds the seven stars as I stand in the midst of the seven lampstands. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. And here, 60 years later, we see Jesus showing his friend John just how true and certain that promise was, and still is, and always will be.